Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for 24th of January 2022. I'm going to start this week with a recognition and tribute to Tony Bannum, who died unexpectedly last week, and it's been a shock to all of us in the county of Norfolk. Tony had a number of great successes in his career, and from a distance we've watched with great admiration to a young grain trader watching him having built up a business from a small place to a very, very strong, and certainly Northwest Norfolk is the Bannum country, dealing with all of those guys over there. He's done a phenomenal job. But the things that he did personally, he would spend lots of his time living in Spain in the middle of the year. And then coming back and still managing to control or run a very, very profitable and successful business. If ever there was a way to live your life, you know, as a grain trader, I look at that and think, why haven't I been clever enough to do that? He certainly had a much healthier time than I. And up until Christmas, he was playing golf and fit as a fiddle. A thing of great envy that you sit there and think, hang on, I've spent all my life in the office. And there he was doing that and still being successful. He did some really, really important things. The most impressive was his braveness in taking on the Maris Otter variety and having the rights to it and then seeing having the vision to see that you have a story and a product and a provenance to something that carried his company that was his strongest card for many a year and still is the case it's something that many many brewers insist on Marisotta and as I say the rights were in the hands of Tony and Robin Appel and he's been able to control if you like or manage that account very successful for every party involved the farmers who grew otter have been successful with it I wish I could come up with a similar scenario for me and I could put my feet up and think, yep, there we are, we're safe for the next 30 years. He was a giant of the Norfolk grain trade. We admired him greatly. He was always utterly charming and I think it's a very sad day. Our deepest sympathies goes to his colleagues and his family. Right, moving on. Let's talk about the grain market, shall we? Russia-Ukraine has been the dominant feature of the grain market in the last week. The market had gone down as low as 209 on the May futures and it's recovered up to 220 yesterday. That's a very big rally and it's purely the fear of conflict. Now you tell me what's going to happen. It's a complete guess. I think the more that people are flying across there and having to spend a few quid to come and argue about it, I think that reduces the probability of conflict. But who knows? The point is, prices have perked up. We've got a situation where ex-farm feed wheat for, say, April has gone back up to 210. So we were looking at 200 extra Feb in last week's report. That's how much difference a political issue has made. So let's remember the biggest influences on markets is always politics or weather. And on this occasion, the weather is in the middle of the winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Not a lot can happen there. There's been rain in South America, so technically the market probably should still be drifting. However, a little bit of sabre rattling and up she goes. If they do kick off, then it's got a lot more to go. Obviously, because cheap wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine, and you don't know what sanctions and what arguments and how many acres will be grown or goodness knows what. We'll work it out when we watch it happening. So 210 extra feed wheat, 
Feed barley, 200x for April. That's a little bit perkier. These are good prices, in my opinion. If I'm right about the conflict not happening, then it's the right time to sell it because this is an unexpected blip. Malting barley, it still remains the same. If you've got any, now's the time to phone up. The market's at very high prices. Get your sample, analyse, see if someone can do something about it. Obviously, there are phenomenally high prices to incredibly fussy homes. One or two intake points have not learnt the lessons and they are still being utterly, well, rigid about certain aspects of the crop as it gets delivered. To be that wooden is, in my opinion, just a way of paying lots more money for the product. But hey, let's let intake rule the day. It's not just one maltings that does that, I will add. So sample, we will look at it and give you our best advice on that. I think oilseed rape, you know, if anyone's got any left to trade, sure, phone us up. But you haven't, have you? It's not there or you've already made your mind up what you're going to do with it. In my opinion, anyone who's got it open price still to be fixed, you should put it to bed. I don't know what it is you're waiting for. Let's move on to new crop. X farm feed wheat for harvest around 182. November X farm 189. The market for that at its low went down to 180x last week. So let's be clear, cost of production is, well, everyone says they've got a different figure, but 170 for the people who don't really do the figure and copy everybody else. It's still a profit, in theory, at that level. Fertiliser price, there's been a trade going on this week in the 600s, which is 100 and something pounds less than the peak. So, you know, maybe that's shaved some of your costs and maybe you won't cut back on nitrogen so far. Certainly the conversation I have after this in Farm Chat with James Gray, we touch on that subject. Anyway, so feed wheat we've covered. Milling wheat, never sell milling wheat before harvest because you don't know whether the hagberg's going to be there or not. The premium is either going to be through the roof because it's rained a lot or it'll be shot to pieces because the miller will import all sorts of stuff from Germany. So, yeah, back to that one, boys, for my milling friends. Feed barley harvest, 160. It's not going to change much from that in the time being, I don't think. We shall wait and see. Barley has its own story, as we know. Malting barley for next year. You can make, in East Anglia, prices delivered into store 200 plus for both winter and spring. Spring's obviously more money than winter's. That's a very good forward price in historical terms. Perhaps one or two of you ought to start looking at, yeah, I actually I have got a load of winter barley in the ground. If I can make 200 delivered for immediate movement, perhaps I ought to do it. But that's up to you. It's there. So over to you. Oilseed rape, new crop, 490. The obvious thing is if it gets to 500, I appreciate this year's crop's got nearly to 600, but let's all remember what 500 felt like for the people who sold it at 350 last year. So £500 a tonne, if it gets there for harvest movement, I think several people ought to put a bit away. That's something you need to call us about. That's about it, isn't it? I've covered all the commodities. It's a very volatile and strange time. I did not expect to see the prices £10 up, but then I'm not a strategist planning how to invade a country. This week's farm chat, I go down to Essex, and I've got to say, James Gray, who I've known for 11 years now, is not your typical Essex man. He's modest and understated, and the opposite of Essex man. James is effectively the glue. He runs his farm with a couple of other estates. He's understated in the way he puts together very sort of matter of fact. He's done a phenomenally large number of diversifications, which we don't really go into fine detail about. But all of the things that you should be doing in this modern world and his benchmarking against various aspects of buying prices, selling prices, obviously they're good because he trades with me. But the point is, it's a very large farming unit now, and I think he does an exceptionally good job, and he just doesn't shout about it. So credit to you, James, and I hope everyone can glean some information about the coming crop from deepest, darkest Essex. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade 
on This Opinion Is Yours. If ever there was a time to own central grain store tonnage, it's now. Yeah Grain at Cantley takes the worries and stresses of grain drying and storage away. Members of the store can harvest without delay and can bring their produce in the day it comes off the combine, all with discounted drying and servicing charges. Call 01493 700 or 01263 731 for details. Yeah Grain, providing the grain handling you need. Today I've ventured far and wide. I'm in North Essex with a gentleman called James Gray. Good morning, James. Good morning, Andrew. Now, you are my token Essex farmer. Yeah, OK. And I've been incredibly rude about Essex at times. I apologise for that, and you don't represent the county in some of the normal behaviour. North Essex. We're one mile from Suffolk. Okay. Not Norfolk, but we're not that bad. Now, I met James in Argentina because we're international travellers and we cemented a friendship in a bar where we decided the hotel was so disgusting we'd spend the night drinking instead of going back to bed. Do you remember that? I do, I do. I remember you disappearing on the last night in Buenos Aires as well. Yeah, I was very tired. Were you? Mm. Yeah, I needed to go to bed. I'm older than you, you see, by quite a long shot. I was frightened by the herds of unbelievably attractive women, I've got to tell you, that I've never seen so many attractive women without anyone around them it's like wow now i feel i've been ambushed by the doing podcast <laughs> political correctness has gone <laughs> you out. obviously stayed out dancing and i obviously just went back to bed but i was a member of a guy i played football with called pagey who was a teacher and he was bald and his ears stuck out and he's a right ugly guy with no chat whatsoever he went to argentina on a four-month goodness knows what and he came back with an absolute worldie as his wife unbelievable and he said well anyone can get a wife out there looks like this I've got to be careful because my wife's actually walking around us as we speak. No, well, she's a worldie anyway, definitely a princess. <laughs> but I just remember coming back and thinking, God, I wish I'd spent my 20s in Argentina. <laughs> I can remember getting up the next morning after our drinking session and going on a very long coach trip on hard roads with potholes and Charles Whittaker of Brown & Co. Who did a 10-mile run that morning. Yeah. Well, we nearly stayed up for six o'clock to say good morning, Charles. <laughs> Didn't quite make it. Anyway, let's get back to Essex, right? So I'm interested from the farming perspective. This autumn in Norfolk has been what I would describe as reasonably easy. We didn't get gargantuan amounts of rain and people have had the opportunity to put more wheat in and the sugar beets come out very well and the ground is in good condition. What's it been like down here? Yeah, that rings true down here. One thing that's affected us a bit is a bit of a no-tolerance blackgrass policy. So we really don't want to drill any of this heavy clay land before 15th of October, you know, mid-October. And we did wait and we missed out on a couple of weeks of great drilling weather by doing that. Mm -hmm. And then it did start getting sticky, but we carried on and then it got quite nasty and we had to lose a week or two end of October, early November. Mm -hmm. But then you're right, it then came good again and we finished up and we put in you know, low for what we planned. And the winter has been very forgiving, hasn't it? Mild. Everything that went in a bit late has probably caught up to where it used to be at the end of January. It's greened up beautifully right through into December and in December itself. So the potential at the moment is, you would say, as good as it could be. Yeah. And I guess the leading question for the grain trade and for anyone in farming is a direct question about fertiliser use. Will you use less or will you use the same as you always plan with these crazy high prices? In all honesty, we haven't made a decision on that yet. I think we will reduce a bit 
because we haven't been that clever and bought everything at 250 quid a tonne. That's very honest of you. Normally people come on here and pretend. <laughs> Quite a lot more than that, I'm afraid. So, yeah, I need to do the numbers on it when my grain merchant tells me. It's 180-something, and with fertiliser prices at £700 a tonne, you know, probably break-evens 170-something. So technically, there's more money than what you're spending, in theory, subject to the weather behaving itself for the rest of the season. But it really will be a critical issue. A lot of doomsday merchants will say, well, you know, there's a lot less crop coming because farmers are simply not going to put it on. It's too much money. But while the maths are still just about there, I think they will. Yeah, I agree. Somebody cleverer than me needs to remind me of that diminishing return curve and where yeah. we decide yeah. to 10 kilos shaved off. off would be quite a saving, but would it be quite a cost? Yeah, given that, you know, volatility is also in the weather as well as price. You know, we don't want a dry May, June, having spent ridiculous amounts on first. No, indeed. I mean, the other thing is your cropping has included spring barley a bit more in recent times, hasn't it? Yeah, well, we never used to grow spring barley. Earlier generations on the heavy land were less consistent than you guys, obviously, Mm -hmm. on the lighter. Well, this is a milling wheat land, is it not? Not really, no. Maybe on the medium lighter ground, which there is around here, and we do have on some of the farms within my joint venture. No, spring barley has come of late. We seem to be able to grow it, and I guess we're higher than average nitrogen, but pretty consistent high yields. Well, in a week or two, your barley's going to leave your barn and join a, you know, a cargo heading out to the continent. And the prices have gone absolutely crazy upwards. So it's been a good win this year, hasn't it? Yeah, brilliant of you to have waited and done your job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah lucky and all that. The reality of this last autumn, a lot of the stuff in Essex had an ergot issue. And where we are up, you know, with the rotations that we've got, we don't get such a problem with that. Molsters have become a little bit more relaxed on that since. You know, that's one of the dilemmas of this corner, is it does have a higher tendency to have ergot in amongst it for whatever reason. Are you still growing rape? Very little now. So only on one of the farms that I manage. And we said on this farm, on my own land here, this is the first year we haven't grown rape for 30 years, I think. So you'll give it a five-year break and then try it again? Yeah, well, that's the reason is this just within the rotation. It's not fitting. Mm. But we have brought in Borage and Echium, and they've done great the last couple of years. I've got no idea what Echium is. Go on, tell me what that is. It's for your face cream. That's why your skin is so... Wrinkled. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, I haven't used it, have I? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we need to get you some Echium cream. Bucket load of it, please. Beautiful mauve lilac-y flowers. Okay. Everyone was stopping on the road and taking photographs. And then borage is, well, you it's, know what borage is. It's quite high risk, is it not? You know, you're yeah, combining yeah, it, it with a combine harvester. Yeah, with a pickup header, yeah. And then it's got to be pretty intense threshing within the machine. Yeah, borage in particular is hard on the combine, but Ekim's not too bad, actually, but doesn't have the same returns and is probably less consistent than borage as well. So I mean, you can't have, you know, 50 hectares of it. It's going to be relatively small percent. What is your rotation now? You've got borage, you've got echium, you've got wheat, you've got spring barley. Any other green things in there? Well, we've got rape, which we're going to keep doing. Mm-hmm. But pulses, we're not very warm to at the moment at all. And oats, we've stopped because of brome. Yeah. A bit of winter barley as well. With pulses, you know, your peas and your beans, there is a move for the consumers 
not to have soya in their product. I mean, it's clear that soya is grown in places where you know rainforest used to be and so on. So I can see potentially, if there's enough pressure put on, that we could see an increase in price in pulses, which would be good for the UK because it would be great to have that fitted into the rotation again, wouldn't it? You need adequate reward for the miseries of doing it. Oh, yeah, and we've had great P contracts in the past. Mm. Marifats, you know, secure and stuff like that. We've enjoyed and done well growing them. So well, Even harvesting them. That's how to clog up your conveyor, isn't it? All the dust when you're trying to get those things that are lying on the ground. Yeah, we've been okay. I mean, whether it's more recent varieties. But yeah, no, we've been all right keeping it standing and combining it direct. But it's not in the rotation at the moment, is it? Not in yours? two years, but we've probably <coughs> had peas for the last six, seven years. So you'll go back to it if the right contract yeah, comes up? Yeah, one in six years. I mean, it should be heading towards 400 quid, really. Yeah, in order to yeah. justify it. So, yeah. I mean, the following crop does get a benefit, so you could argue there's a shave Yeah, yeah, that. definitely. It's lovely, clean crop, and it should be good for weed control. You know, you've got the government's fantastically detailed information about, you know, what you're going to get for growing trees or whatever you do. What's your plan? Is there going to be a radical change or you can just wait until you actually, you know, stay with the curve, behind the curve, ahead of the curve? What's your gut instinct say? I'd love to be really clear and sound like I understood and had it all in place. Yeah, no, it's not clear enough. Elms yet, all the sustainable farming initiative details. So we've got a lot of stewardship schemes. Mm Mm-hmm. We had high level going way back. We've had countryside stewardship for decades and ELS and everything else. So we're running across all farms, margins and corners and bird mixes and pollen and nectar and everything. And we're very keen on tree planting and hedge planting. So we're picking up those grants in stewardship. And I just think we're quite well placed to transition into elms, which we know we're allowed to do now. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. We're on good land, though, so I want to keep growing crops and be productive, so I'm not thinking of rewilding. There's going to come a point when the recent paper didn't mention food, I don't think, in it. I think last week's panel, that Geoffrey Clifton Brown headed a panel, of cross-party panel, that studied what DEFRA are trying to do, and their estimation is that 30,000 hectares will come out of production. It's 300,000 tonnes of wheat, if you put it in round figures. You know, you're going to start trimming down the UK production, you're going to start importing more, and all you do with importing is outsource your bee-killing, if you like. You outsource your malpractices. So everyone who's saying how terrible the UK farmer is, the reality is of being joyful about us planting whatever we plant here that doesn't produce food, it's going to be produced somewhere where the standards are lower because the deal that Liz Truss and George Eustace are doing are already compromised. You know, they've already told the fib it's the same as what the farmer in the UK has to do. And it's not true. That's a fact. It's not true. So that's what happens. We outsource our badness just by importing it from somewhere else. And yeah. it must, by definition, be less sustainable because it's got to be, you know, not only harvested and carted to a port, it's then freighted and carted and carted again and so on. We'll have to wait for five years to see whether there's any sense in it or not. I'd just like to think that we can provide some lead in this country with R&D, with technology, with farming practice to improve all these variables that cause climate change, that create pollution and all the rest of it. Well, we had a conversation before we turned the mics on about peanut butter, didn't we? And we've got pip and nut peanut butter. You are consciously buying, your wife is consciously buying, no palm oil in it and it's got a great taste, but you said it costs £1 million a jar. (laughs) I think I was exaggerating. But the dynamic is, in the end, the answer to the problem is the consumer. It is not the farmer. The producer of palm oil, if he hasn't got a market for his palm oil, will stop chopping down rainforest by definition because he's got nowhere to sell the product. So in the end, you can blame the UK farmer for everything if you want to. 
The reality is, you keep buying peanut butter with palm oil in, or Cadbury's chocolate with palm oil in, you are creating the problem by the demand. It's every commodity in every foodstuff is feeding the world that is being accused of desertification and soil erosion and poisoning and cancer. For all the truth that's in there, there is no solution, a realistic solution. And there's no way you can point a finger specifically at an individual for whatever they're doing within agriculture. They're meeting a demand that's there. In this country, the control is in the supermarkets. The labelling of product does not allow conscious decision-making. And you're not going to break that stranglehold because the government are too tied into the supermarkets to have control of it, to keep food prices low. They've got to have low food prices or you get riots, which, you know, by the end of this year, one of my predictions, we'll have riots in the UK, be it for energy prices, be it for cost of fuel anyway, and or food prices. It's coming because people are genuinely going to be quite hard up. Well, and our supply chain is so tight as well, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Stocks are so low and efficient and, yeah, there's no room for error. So, as far as farming is concerned, you know what you're doing. Diversification, what's your thoughts on that? You've done a number of things, some you probably want to talk about, some you probably don't. But, you know, you have a fantastic distillery in a barn in the middle of your old farmyard, haven't you? Yeah, that's how we generate cash on the farm. We're in Essex in southeast England. We're not close to any big city or London in particular, but there is opportunity out there. And we are a diversified rural business now. We're not just a farm by a long shot. So I've just tried to look at every opportunity, every building, every bit of infrastructure that we've got. Are you there yet? Or have you got more to do? Have you got? Yeah, no, definitely more to do. I see someone's putting a roof on. Because you actually live on an old World War Two airfield, airfield yeah, exactly. and you've got the old Nissan huts, which you've done a load of them up, and some of them yeah. still look like they're vaguely still the original. They are original, <coughs> yeah, but probably got a bit of a Nissan hut obsession. It's difficult not to have a Nissan hut obsession when you live in one, isn't it? <laughs> not quite. But yeah, we don't quite live in one, but we do live in something that yeah well, may look like it's yeah, been spread. Well, it's in the same that. mode, isn't it, with all the other ones around you? But, you know, is there many more opportunities, do you think? Where does it go to next? Obviously, you know, glamping and bringing in other people, members of the public, to pay to enjoy the countryside is lots of opportunity. You have to be be nice to them, you know that. Yeah, that hasn't appealed to us so far, (laughs) so I've tended to go for partnering with people, a bit like how we've partnered with the joint venture. Yeah. So you stick them the other side of those woods over there, is that your land you put them over there? Is that close enough? (laughs) Exactly, something like that, yeah. (laughs) But no, where there's buildings that we can use for something other than farming... Mm. It's about, you know, having the right people that you get on with. That's important. Bring the right vibe to the whole farm because you might be having multiple tenants in an area. And I've learned this off people that have done this way ahead of me. And you can create a culture and a vibe amongst the community. Yeah. I think that's quite self-perpetuating. And so I've seemed to have created that to a degree on these couple of sites we've got here and some quite cool things going on. Well, you have. What's the name of the distillery? English Spirit Distillery. That's it. So it has a phenomenal input on some very major brands, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, run by John Walters, a fantastically talented entrepreneur and scientist. And, yeah, he's created an amazing brand, amazing business, and I've tried to support that growth and um, yeah we love seeing him doing well yeah i think you know if anyone's i'm gonna plug someone else's business here but they do the odd distillery tour don't they and when you go down there and physically look at the process and look at the products that's coming off it is amazing how many supermarkets those specialist gins and various things that are on the shelves how many come back to his skills yeah because it is not easy no and it seems easy like all these things don't they 
Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, he's doing it well. It's like running a successful farm and having the correct diversification, James. You're always <laughs> modest about it, but it's like, it isn't easy. And it isn't something you can do, boom, is it? You know, when I first came down here after we'd been to Argentina, which must be eight or nine years ago now, or ten, I don't know. Ten, I reckon 2011. It was just before a back operation, yeah. 2011, ten. I think. Well, 11 years ago. You know, lots of things hadn't been done. You were talking about moving towards it. And all of those dreams, projections, ideas couldn't happen just like that. But they have, haven't they? Finally, bit by bit, it's happening. And it's all about the vision you had way back when. Yeah, build it and they will come, as Kevin Costner said. Okay. Field of dreams. Sounds like a good one. I mean, the, the other thing you built was a lake, a little lake. I turned up this morning and your wife and your sister were swimming, and this is January the 16th. Yeah, that's a bit of a chilly one, though. Yeah, they're in that cold water swimming thing. Yeah, that's why you look so thin and uh, healthy, isn't it? Yeah. Just for the record, I think I'd probably have a heart attack, so I haven't tried it. But The deal was, I'll do this podcast <laughs> thing, which is terrifying, and you go to swim. Yeah, afterwards. right. Okay, I might put one toe in, perhaps, but I think it's too much of a risk. And you have to now give people a lift to hospital. I know it's like that in Essex. I'll do that. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, in Norfolk, you have to drive yourself in if you had a heart attack. That's their advice. Anyway, James, I'm very glad I persuaded you to do a podcast because, as I said, you're looking like it was going to be some sort of terrible ordeal. There's other people going to be in the same position as you. I want you to just reassure them now that it was actually quite painless. Okay. He (laughs) he didn't hurt me. Not physically. No. Anyway, James, I think on the basis of your Essex observations, we're feeling like there's quite a big crop coming. That's my immediate reaction to it. I mean, the preems have worked well. It's been kind. It's been good. But a lot can change in the spring weather, and we haven't had a normal spring, have we? What's normal? Yeah. They're talking about this volcano just driving down someone for an episode. This volcano in the South Pacific is going to impact crop production. Too much for the brain. Yeah. Yeah, plumes of smoke and lower temperatures and so on. We'll get to that one in a podcast or two's time, and when I've actually seen pictures of the plumes of smoke, I guess. But uh, no, you're right. The weather can still, obviously, that's the joy of the job, isn't it? Yeah. It's either going to go up or down, and we don't know what, but we pretend we know. It's about my job. Can't anyway, stress about it. James, thank you so much for succumbing to the pressure and for cooking me bacon and eggs as well. A pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, James. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.